0: Hello, and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we are analyzing aliens in short, controlled bursts. I'm John Engel.
1: And I'm Tasha Robinson. And Minute 97 begins with Hicks deciding to waste Burke and ends with Hudson telling Vasquez that it ain't her.
0: It ain't her. But it is you, Tasha. You're back again today on Tuesday. Thanks for coming back.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's always fun.
0: And we have Brian Bishop back again today. Thanks for returning for a second episode. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. So we talked about this a little bit in the last minute, but uh, this minute begins with Hicks uh, just finally deciding exactly what to do with Burke. And that is apparently to grab him by the collar and go kill him. <laughs> right? I mean, there's nothing else to really be taken from this moment. He's like, Oh, sorry, buddy, we're going to have to kill you now. I
2: love that we have this uh this like really like nuanced read of like the last minute in the framing and it all comes down to we waste him so it's just such like a an 80s action movie like Cameron moment um it's really that simple after all that payoff <laughs>
1: I just I love the smile on his face when he when he lunges at Burke and grabs him, it's like uh, he he throughout this whole scene he's been kind of evincing this like serious thoughtful leadery kind of face just like we're gonna weigh all of the viewpoints here and then when he says we're gonna waste him he grabs him and he just grins in his face and he does the the callback no offense you know to Burke saying earlier that he was just a grunt. No offense. He can't make this decision. It's too big for him. No offense. And in this case, he's like, well, we're going to kill you now. No offense. (laughs) He does not get the untaken uh, response back from Burke that he gave Burke earlier.
0: Right. You you thought I couldn't make big decisions before. Well, now I'm going to execute you without a trial. How's how's that for a big decision? (laughs) It's pretty, it's kind of a crazy moment when you isolate it down to a talking point like we're doing right now, because it's kind of silly, right? What's, what's. What's Hicks' plan here? He's going to just pick him up. They're going to throw him up against the wall and shoot him like they did the facehugger uh, a couple of minutes ago. I mean, what exactly are they going to do here? Are they really? I mean, obviously, Ripley is interceding for just a second before um, the shit really goes down in this minute. But was that Hicks's plan? I mean, were they just going to put him up against the wall and give him a cigarette and a blindfold?
1: I don't think they were going to give him a cigarette. Or a blindfold. <laughs> yeah, they're
2: all out of cigarettes. I mean, that's just a
0: reasonable. Cool. Yeah. What's the blindfold really do for you? Come on. So, But I think it's a little bit strange. It doesn't seem like totally thought through. It's fine. I'm not really – I don't really have a problem with it. But I think as a point of writing, like if I read this block of prose, you know, like in dialogue, if I was reading a script, I might be like – I might circle it and say, what was this plan here? (laughs) Because it does seem a little silly. That being said, we get an immediate like pull away from it into a big shift. Um, So it doesn't really matter. We don't really ever – think about it is in the flow and the continuity of the film as it's playing out because we're about to get this massive shift in action so it works fine. But, you know, since we're a minute-by-minute minute podcast here and we have to talk about every nuance, I just want to say that it's kind of ridiculous that Hicks is just going to pick him up, throw him, throw him to the side, and they're going to shoot him.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting. You mentioned uh, you would have circled that moment in the script. Looking at the script, it doesn't say anything about physical movement for Hicks. It just says, Hicks says, seriously, let's waste him no offense. So at that point in the script it just looks like he's he's throwing it out there as an idea. He's saying, you know, this is this is absolutely on the table. And Ripley responds, just find some place to lock him up until it's time to and then she gets interrupted. And the fact that in the actual movie, he grabs him and throws him to the side. And he does look like he's about to like haul him up against the wall and shoot him means her motion has to be a lot more abrupt. And, and she's like, you know, no, no, we have to bring him back. And it's clearly, we have to bring him back for trial. We have to get his testimony. We have to prove that Wayland Utani was in the wrong. We have to get all of this out in the open. Like, there's a world of stuff there that she doesn't have time to say because of that shift to action. But she's clearly trying to indicate, like, we can't just execute him. That won't solve the larger problem.
0: Yeah, for sure. She wants. She wants to. You know, Aaron Brokovich. This. She wants to get. <laughs> all the way down she wants to get all the way down and she wants to take everybody down yeah because she's got a beef with the company not just Burke she doesn't just she's not just mad at Burke for trying to kill her she's got a beef with everybody so yeah she wants to take him right into to Llewellyn you know from the inquest and put him right down and say hey here's your boy now uh explain yourself, you know, explain what your part was in this. And like, let's get another inquest going here. You know, you're right. That's totally what she does. And, and what what you're describing from the script sounds on paper a little bit more, it's like a little bit more sober, maybe a little bit more realistic to me. Like a, I'm thinking that, okay, that scene sounds like it might actually play out while well, this one seems a little bit silly, but it's elevated in a good way, right? We've just had this scene kind of ramp up where we've had this, um, you know, uh, uh, what what do you call it? Like interrogation going on here in the scene and it's ramped up. And we've talked, we talked a little bit about how the editing builds it up into these close ups to where it's getting more intense and Ripley's taking over the scene more. We have Hicks's indecision. We have Hudson's lack of indecision and it's all building up to this big moment. And it feels good on a visceral level to have this big physical movement happen. Like you're saying, only to have it interrupted by a much more shocking shift so I think it would have been a little weird to cut from the sober discussion. Well, no, no, let's um, let's take him in, lock him up and we'll take him in, you know, to like then the the lights shifting red. I have no idea why she was British in that scene. But <laughs> <laughs> Just seemed more uh, sedate, you know, a little bit more. Anyway, but you're right. I think that that cutting on the physical motion, the more intense moment of him grabbing him from by the collar and like going to throw him up against the wall, works better for what we're about to get, which serves the film better, I think.
2: Well, also, I think it helps differentiate it from Alien too, right? Because sitting around and having a conversation about the nuance of what they were doing would be kind of an alieny thing, and you know that aliens arguably a horror movie and but aliens is very much a a james cameron action movie it's definitely an 80s action movie uh and you need those like moments and it is funny it is it is goofy and it is heightened but that's what kind of what makes it that action movie thing you kind of like need those ridiculous jumps to have it kind of give it that different feel um and it sets up what's coming up next which is my favorite line in the entire movie but we'll get to that in a second
0: yeah, now that you bring up Alien, I'm I'm picturing Ash sitting in that chair instead of Burke. Like, what if they wouldn't have gone down the way it did, and we had that interrogation scene with Ash? He would have definitely had a much better argument than Burke. He would have been pulling out, you know, their contracts, the details, the sub the, the you know Chairs, subsection yeah. this of the contract, and uh, Weyland Yutani rule books, and you know all this stuff. So yeah, you just had made me picture a different scene if it would have happened to Alien, and yes, it would have been much more sober and much more. Like a real interrogation, but here we're in, we're in Cameron land 100%. It's got to be big and physical and visceral, and I think that it works uh, really well for what we're about to get.
1: It just proves androids are better than people.
0: Well, yeah, I think that's a given. Well, I mean, as long as they're not too uh, glitchy, like, like Ash. Yeah, we got we got our Bishop though. He's out there somewhere right now too. I think that we need to remember that because that's something. Um, That'll come up in later minutes. Yeah. The fact that Bishop is not here for this, uh, he's still out there doing other things, which is a whole other little thread that's still out there. But it's not really for this minute, I guess.
1: I mean, that's why we had to bring Brian Bishop in for these moments. It Was uh, just to, to get oh, our. I hope we're gonna get the whole idea. thing without that joke.
0: <laughs> oh, I almost did it immediately yesterday. <laughs> I, I thought I would let Tasha do it. She's like, Tasha's his friend. Uh, I'll, I'll let her do it. <laughs> I almost did it right away. We finally got a bishop on the show.
2: No, there's definitely a stretch of my life. we would be like, oh, oh, like in Aliens. And I'm like, sure, like in Aliens. Yes.
1: <laughs> well, so, uh, wait, so people people <laughs> don't go like in church. Like the, the entire history of the Catholic Church means less than an, an android in and Aliens. Yeah.
2: Well, As yeah. I've gotten older, it's changed, which makes me somehow sad. I liked it when I liked it when aliens was the larger cultural reference point.
0: It's never chess. Like, oh, you mean like the chess piece? Nobody ever does that.
2: Oh, no, that that one's happened too. Oh, I, okay. I, I prefer I prefer Lance Henriksen across the board.
1: Uh, has anybody ever tried, like, you know, thrusting a giant spike through your chest just to check if and see if you're an alien? Or sorry, to check and see if you're an android.
2: Uh no but now i'm kind of intrigued and frightened and i think i need
0: to run away and wear armor have you ever like taken a big drink of milk held in your mouth and then like spewed it out (laughs) in front of a bunch of people just to freak them out i'm actually
2: that needs to happen immediately so that's what i'm going to be doing with my evening tonight
1: (laughs) i'm going to find the nearest screening
2: drink some milk and then watch watch chaos happen
1: I'm just going to apologize in advance to your wife for for suggesting this i also i had nothing to do with it and uh will deny it categorically even though it's all on tape (laughs) yep
0: you know it just occurs to me this is a total non-sequitur well kind of but has anybody made the aliens uh chess board chess board where bishop is the bishops has nobody has anybody done this yet Listeners, if you any of you out there know about this chess board, this these chess pieces, it seems logical to me. Anyway, sure,
1: you know you could have a bunch of uh, you could have a bunch of eggs as pawns, and obviously queens as queens.
0: You got a queen, yeah. You got the queen alien, um, yeah. Anyway, if nobody's done that yet, let's start. Uh, somebody start carving, carving some chess pieces out there. I
2: just realized on the bishop thing, we just do like his top half and his bottom half. That's how we have two characters. <laughs>
0: oh, there you go. That's perfect. Oh man, guys. Oh, let's somebody call 20th Century Fox because we need some licensing. All right, This is going to uh, be the clumsiest
1: segue ever. But uh, speaking of keeping kids interested, one of the things that fascinates <laughs> me about this scene is Newt, it, like as uh, as Hicks grabs Burke and slams him against the wall, as he's like, all right, we're going to we're going to murder you now. Newt is watching this whole thing with just like the most casual interest. She does not look alarmed. She doesn't flinch when this guy is like literally hauled out of his seat and slammed into uh, whatever that support thing is right next to her. She does not move in the slightest. And I think that that is a really interesting acting choice. Like, I don't know if, uh, if the actress was a little zoned out or was actually told like, don't respond to this. But People don't scare her anymore. The idea of adults murdering each other in front of her does not scare her or startle her because she's seen worse. And she just she watches this all with this sort of casual okay. No, no. Now they're murdering each other. That's a thing that's happening.
0: I mean, shoot, like, we don't know what kind of drama she saw between humans uh, during the whole Hadley's Hope battle. Whatever happened there. You know, who Who knows what kind of drama went down between people in that harrowing situation? You know, so maybe she has seen some of that, too. Yeah. Like, I think we're going to come back to this, too, because there's a couple of reaction shots with Newt and coming up, too, that are uh, in, uh, either interesting choices or, uh, dare say, I bad acting. <laughs> One or the other. We'll see. But it'll, we'll talk about that in later minutes, too.
2: Okay. So this next, the next moment obviously happens. The, the power gets cut. Um, you know, somebody says they cut the power. And then we have the line, what do you mean they cut the power? How can they cut the power man, They're animals? Now, I know when it comes to Bill Paxton's character, a lot of people like the game over sequence. And that is great. But I happen to believe that this is actually his best moment in the entire film. Because basically you have this, this character who is basically, we're talking, you know, you know, like the last episode about how he gets like this little wine into everything. Uh, and here he has the wine in full effect. Um, it's like this completely like mystified. He cannot can simply understand how the world could work in this way. Like that, these animals can do anything complex, and he's completely helpless. And it's just the funniest performance. This makes me laugh. Like I don't. I'm like, am I alone on this? Is it like I, every time I hear this line, I just want to like stop the movie and like laugh for like five minutes straight because Bill. It's like Bill Paxton <laughs> is Bill Paxtoniest.
1: Yeah, it, I mean, there is just a, a sense of the thing that's happening can't be happening, man. <laughs> I mean, he would—how did this guy get through the Marines? Like, I just—I pictured <laughs> right? him, Hunt coming under fire and being like, "They've got—they've also got guns, man. How is this happening, man?" I just uh, everything astonishes him. There's no cornbread at breakfast, man. I didn't—you've got to have cornbread at breakfast, man. Like, no matter what happens, he's just completely <laughs> lost.
0: I, I don't know. In this particular case, I hear what you're saying, but in this particular case, there is this pretty shocking element of those aliens cut the power. I mean, that would be quite a, that is a revelation to us. Like we didn't, we've never seen them do anything like that either as the audience. So really, he's speaking for us, right? And I think it's kind of a chilling moment because it raises the stakes quite a bit. We're saying these guys aren't just going to bash through the wall. They just did something tactical. Now, what's the next tactical move? And we don't know what it is yet, but. We're gonna get it soon. And I I don't know, I've always found this to be a chilling moment. I think it's a great lighting moment, obviously. It's very clear that we cut it they cut the power and then we go all red. So we're right into red alert, you know, status here. And I think his question, actually, I don't know. I think it's got a lot of weight to it. I don't. I don't think it's. I mean, I see why you'd think it's funny. Like anything, Bill Paxton says in this movie is could be funny, but (laughs) to me, it has. There's something behind it. It's not just a throwaway line. By
2: I don't think it's a throwaway. And then this may. I mean, completely admitting this may just be the way I'm hardwired because literally hearing you just talk about it like makes me want to laugh. And I had to go and like mask myself. There's something about this that that line (laughs) in this stance. I think it's the way he hits the they which is like a kind of clunky acting choice like what do you mean they cut the power it's really kind of like (laughs) on the nose but it just says everything about you know him and it it is a real situation right and it's a great pivot i think and it uses that laugh because it is a laugh to kind of go into this really really dangerous sequence that you were talking about
1: I think uh, the what Cameron has to say in the commentary at this moment is one of the most interesting things he says in the entire commentary which is in his mind the alien in the first film is uh, an infant he, he he says that you know we don't see the alien in the first film manipulating technology or doing anything particularly complicated but he's like it's been alive less than 24 hours uh, of course it's not very sophisticated but the aliens in this film are weeks maybe months old um, they've had time to have their brain develop uh, he points out that the alien queen like later in the film clearly understands how elevators work uh, so he doesn't see any reason why the aliens here wouldn't have uh, like enough intelligence to perform some basic tactical maneuvers. And just the idea, given how scary the alien is in the first alien, the idea that that thing is a, an infant, like literally a baby, uh, it's just so mind blowing to me, but it's also accurate. It, it also makes logical sense.
0: Well, I, it would be, if you had like an eight foot tall infant, uh, that was the strength of an eight foot tall man. That's really scary right there. Just... You give it some teeth and a second mouth and that's super scary. But yeah, the idea of it being so infantile and so instinctual, that's scary on its own. Um, but I think it's good. I'm glad that they, that Cameron makes the change here. I think it's a good change. We need to we need to up this the ante a little bit, I think for you know that's that's the sequel. Formula, you got to up the ante a little bit. Give us something new, and I and I like the idea uh, that as this series even progresses, they get more and more intelligent, right? Like you said, so um, no, I think it works really well. And I get you on the line. I, it's it's a funny moment. It's weirdly it's a weirdly placed funny moment, but uh, it's hard to you know. I guess that's just Hudson's way of talking. Uh, the way uh, he just has to express everything he's thinking, and he does it loudly and with that crazy voice. And uh, you know, this is a strange place for him to do it, but at the same time, he does. Ask that question that we as the audience have to ask, you know, I think it would be odd if everybody was like, oh, OK, cool. They cut the power. That's that's interesting. Let's deal with that. Like somebody's got to react like, what the fuck? Really? OK. <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, it's a good line, but I'm glad it gives you so much joy, Brian. I'm glad you get get a good <laughs> chuckle out of it.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think it's um I think there's something really interesting here about how that line is used to make the transition from this very human stake situation with Burke and that interrogation to like they decide to waste him, back to the quote unquote fun and games of an alien attack, which is a very different kind of interaction. And it kind of bridges the two moments. Um, and I think Cameron does a really, really good job with that humor throughout the film. And everything's get a little bit too bleak, where they could be leaning to what would become the Alien Three direction. Uh, he brings it back, you know, with with Bill Paxton every single time. And I think that's a really good example of this moment going into this much more action oriented sequence, um, which is visceral and fun and has a different level of tension going on. Anything with the with the tracker and then the red lighting.
1: He also goes from this moment, like we we kind of talked about shot composition and crowd composition, and how he's putting everybody on the screen at once. But immediately after we go red, uh, we also just go to a series of face close-ups, a series of uh, personal reactions from people. Uh, we get to see Hicks panicking and Hudson giving orders and Burke kind of doing a, oh, I'm not being murdered right right at this second. And uh, like it, it cuts from face to face to face as we kind of see how everybody is processing this. And it happens very quickly, but it's a really interesting storytelling moment. And then we go directly out out, out from that to like a longer shot of uh, Vasquez kind of prowling in the darkness with her, her tracker. And kind of getting getting us back on a new footing uh, it's basically resetting expectations from this crowd moment where everybody's opinion matters to these individual moments where it, what the what the soldiers are doing on their own is what's important
0: here we get uh gorman right so we get this moment everybody's figured out you know how they're going to respond to this situation and one of the uh, responses ripley has is to bark an order at gorman Which he gladly accepts, you'll notice. So Gorman is completely minimized in his authority now. Like he's gladly taking orders from Ripley who he would not even listen to earlier, right? So he's come around and he's been left with the – I would say probably the lowliest of duties, which (laughs) is guarding the traitor. You know, I think in this situation, he's not deemed (laughs) – Helpful enough on the front lines at all to to actually help with this very dire situation, she's still thinking. Of, also, she's still thinking about holding uh, uh, Burke, which I think is notable. Like at this point, I would think you'd be almost wanting to put a gun in his hand uh, just to help because it's about to get super desperate. But of course, she's thinking, nope, we got to keep the we got to keep order here to a certain extent. You watch him, and, and and I, the civilian, will be the one with the big gun on the front line instead. So I think that's a notable moment between her and Gorman. That's kind of.
1: Yeah, and at the same time, she orders Newt to stay close to her, which I I just really like. Like as things fall apart over the next couple of minutes, she keeps she her situational awareness. always includes Newt. Where's Newt? How close to Newt? Uh, how close to me is Newt? Uh, do I I'm running? Do I have Newt? Like she just she keeps bringing it up. She no matter what's going on, she's aware where Newt is.
0: Yeah, I love that too. Like we talked about that a couple of different times because it is a very consistent uh, character trait. Like they were, they were very thoughtful of that throughout the movie, and it works so well um, in, in keeping their relationship close. And, and it seems so real, like that's something that you know Ripley, being who she is, she would do that. And I'm glad that everybody was mindful of that. You know, that's something I feel like. You know, he sometimes we shit on. Modern movies a little bit too much on this show, but I feel like that's the kind of thing that would get forgotten. Like that would be a note that would be in the first act and maybe early in the movie and it would get lost in the minutia of all the crazy action of a movie like this if it were made today. But this is thoughtful character stuff It's always very thought give James Cameron credit in his early career. He's very thoughtful of his characters and and very good with consistency as far as their behavior. And you're right. The situational awareness is the perfect way to put that. That's what Ripley has. And that's one of the things that endears us to her. uh, It makes her uh, a new wrinkle. It gives her a new wrinkle in this movie as opposed to Alien. Not that she didn't have situational awareness in Alien. It's just that um, it wasn't as present uh, and noticeable. But, yeah, it's a good moment. Uh, Another another Ripley-Newt moment that works really well.
2: Definitely. And then right on top of that, we get the, the reintroduction of the, of the tracker devices and we kind of see those, those big swarms start coming in. Um, it's hard for me to think about this movie without, you know, the tracker sequences, which were obviously there was a version of that in the first film. But they are so iconic in this, and it kind of I feel like the ramp up that everybody remembers is in this this exact minute right when you start seeing them coming in and they, there's much more swarms from all directions they don't know what's going on and there's this sense of like dread and inevitability that starts showing up and you really kind of see the way Cameron's able to escalate things first with the power cutting the cut to close ups you were talking about tasha, and now this you know this Basically, this existential like beeping that's coming and like they know it's going to come and they know it's going to get them and there's nothing stopping and they don't know where it's coming from. And there's an inevitability there, uh, which to me, I, I kind of love every time I watch, you know, literally this minute because... You kind of, like, know what's about to happen, and these characters are just incapable of, of handling it. And it's uh, it's remarkable, I think, how effortless this all seems, you know, on the part of Cameron. These little pieces that are just kind of coming together, they're not big things, right? They're small little choices, but they kind of come together to paint this, like, very, very, like, tense picture of things that are just constantly and constantly and constantly escalating uh, that I'm always impressed when this part of the movie starts kicking in.
0: Yeah, you know, this moment where uh, Vasquez and Hudson head out into the corridor there to, I don't know, I guess to validate their readings that they're getting on the on the tracker to make sure that they're not, you know, I don't know. It's, it's kind of strange because it's like you've got the trackers. What do they need to go out there and check on, <laughs> check on it for? But uh, I guess to make sure nothing had uh, broken down as far as their barricades or so on. But it really reminded me for the first time, I never really thought about this, but it's it's kind of a futuristic version of a couple of soldiers going out into the woods. Right. And the tracker kind of acts as the rustling leaves and broken breaking twigs that you might hear around the in the shadows of the trees, you know, and he's the one that's hearing the sounds. And then, of course, the other soldier never does hear them. And uh, and you're not sure if they're real or not. And in this case, it's really just a futuristic version of that. And so it's a classic trope in a way like you've seen that that scene a lot of times. But here we get it so cleverly done. And at the same time, you're kind of expecting, you know, if they're going to go out in that corridor, you kind of expect something to jump out at them out there. But that would be too simple for this movie. We need to have a wrinkle to it. We can't have an alien just like clinging to the ceiling that jumps down on Hudson. It has to be some something that they hadn't thought of, which is what Ripley's going to say in the next minute. So, uh, I, yeah, I like this moment. The tracker, again, all, constantly innovative, constantly adding something to the movie and the suspense. The movie is one of the most ingenious props ever created. I'm, I'm yeah, becoming more The setup more and more
1: for this sequence is absolutely oh, the dangerous thing is coming. Let's split up. Uh, you have Hudson and Vasquez moving out of the corridor and going in opposite directions, which Cameron really emphasizes by having them each move past the camera, kind of. Moving toward it and then past it into increased isolation as they head in separate directions, and we're absolutely expecting one of them to get picked off because that's what happens when you're in a horror movie and people say let's split up. You go this way, I'll go that way. We'll check and see where the monster is. Um, but then we get the shot of both of the barricades establishing that they're they're still completely intact and there's nothing moving. Uh, which I just I think that the build of the scene, it's a very very tight quick scene but it feels like it goes on forever in the good way it feels like it builds a lot of tension uh, but just because of all of the things you're expecting that don't happen um, and all of the, the conventional things that are laid out very very quickly as possibilities that we then move past into an un- a more unconventional uh, scenario
0: yeah i definitely want to talk more about that as, as this this scene leads us into the next minute. There's a there's something I want to talk about, but we'll save till tomorrow uh, for that. So if you guys don't have anything else, I'm, I'm out of notes for this minute.
1: All I want to say is, uh, it, you you mentioned the the red alert quality of everything going red. To me, it just it looks like everything's drenched in blood. We've got uh, these little white highlights of the like the backpack lights and Newt's. Uh, flashlight we've got like little blue highlights here and there but other than that it just everything looks looks drenched in blood right now
0: yeah good stuff yeah it's great I, th- I think it's a great moment all right well if that's all uh then we'll uh move on to minute 98 brian do you want to remind everyone where they can find you online
2: yeah my writing is uh, online on com, and you can find me on twitter at bc bishop
0: Natasha.
1: My writing is also online at TheVerge.com. You can find me on Twitter at Tasha Robinson. And I'm the co-host of the Next Picture Show podcast, where we talk about a current movie and how it relates to a classic movie.
0: And uh, you can find us, of course, at AlienMinute.com. Come over to iTunes and subscribe to us there if you haven't done that before. Even if you don't listen on iTunes, it would be nice for you to subscribe to us there and maybe give us a five-star review. Those are very helpful. Uh, You can also find us on Instagram at AlienMinutePodcast and on Twitter at AlienMinutePod. Okay, well, we'll see you tomorrow for minute number 90 eight.